the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. There's a reason for this. The church does not have an unending supply of money and resources. The church must be careful with the resources that it has, and the family must be careful with the witness, with how it bears witness testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ and the surrounding community. And the family must be careful to show themselves to be faithful believers in the Lord. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past you've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible with you Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we are continuing with Pastor Keith's series entitled Church Matters. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5. So let's talk about Michael and Andy. Michael came to me one day at the church, previous church, and he said, you see out there, and there's a car full of kids. I said, yeah, he goes, those are my children. He goes, my wife committed suicide two days ago. He goes, and my kids are not handling this well because they're autistic. There's some kind of problem in our family and autism shows up. And I need a gas card and I need a food card. So we gave him a gas card. We, I uh, sort of leapfrogged the normal procedure because I mean, man, his wife had committed suicide. His kids were autistic. He was grieving. We prayed together we cried together. And I gave him a number of food cards. Then Andy shows up the next morning at my office. Andy was one of our elders, and he was a lieutenant on the police department. He goes, I see you met Michael. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, did a guy come here yesterday and tell you a really sad story, and you, you kind of loaded him up with uh, gift cards? And I was like, well, yeah, because, you know, this, that, and that. He goes, yeah, I know. He goes, I arrested him about five hours later. He was at a at a suicide, at a, at, a, at a grief share type ministry talking about the suicide of his wife and this, that, and that. He goes, I arrest this guy and his brothers all the time because this is a scam they use 
all over the place. And so he goes, so the food cards are evidence, you will get them back, but he goes, you just, you, you just gotta be careful, pastor. And so whatever assistance we have, the Lord has provided us, and as stewards of, what, of the treasure that he has loaned us as a church, we need to be careful on whom we spend the Lord's money. We need to check them out because there are all kinds of people telling all kinds of stories that may or may not be true. And so Paul here speaks to the fact, or he infers or he implies, that aid is to be extended after assessing who the person is. And I'll even go a step further. When you look at the text, to church members, first and foremost, primary and maybe only 90% of the time plus. Let me read verse 10 again. Having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, so this is a responsible person, shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, this is a believer, in the church, has cared for the afflicted and devoted herself to every good work. Verse 10 describes a believer who is still engaged in ministry within the local church, known to the local church. Not a recent addition, not somebody who just showed up several hours ago or a few weeks ago, but a saint with a track record known to the church who's washed the feet of the saints, cared for the afflicted, and devoted herself, committed herself to ministry. This principle we can derive and distill and apply it to our own people and to the people who come to us for help. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't ever help outsiders because we do and we should, but it means we have to be careful. You know, we recently uh, helped an outsider, and I have to tell you, when he was telling his story, I had my doubts, and at the end of the day, between me and two or three other people, this guy had a legitimate need. We helped him. And I tell you, he sends us emails all the time. It was a good risk. It was a good investment. But primarily, the church helps its own. We are to be discerning with our stewardship. The church's primary mission in all benevolence is to care for its own people. Oftentimes, churches lose sight of that. You see this today where these uh, benevolence ministries have, have have evolved in this somewhat of an undiscerning giveaway program. But we see God's word says differently. In point of fact, the church's benevolence and aid activity should be first and foremost for its own people. Now, a lot of times when you say that, uh, and I understand that because it's, it's hard to see the suffering in the world around us but the church does not have unlimited resources. And occasionally somebody will point out to me Matthew 25, verses 34 to 40. And I wanna read those for you now and explain them to you with some clarity so that you understand what is being said here and what is not being said here. Matthew 25, 34 to 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, come who you, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, 
Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, or thirsty, or give you to drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to them, truly I say to you, you did it to the least of one of these of my brothers, you did it to me. The key word there is brothers, brothers. You did it to the least of these, my brothers, and you did it to me. Who are Christ's brothers? They're believers, great and small, particularly the small and the unimportant ones, the ones who don't get all the attention of the church, the ones who may be traveling from one town to another and find themselves in hardship. How do we know who Christ's brothers are? We look in the wider context of Scripture. And if you look at Mark 3, 31 to 35, you begin to understand that that word brothers there doesn't necessarily mean anybody and everybody. Look with me there, Mark three thirty-one to 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called to him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Verse 33, and he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around him, he said, Here, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, sister, and mother. You know, you always want to let Scripture clarify Scripture for you. And benevolence is primarily aimed at those within the family of God. Those who believe. And not to be crass, There's this idea that if we help people, if we give them food and money, we might buy an evangelistic opportunity by meeting their physical needs. But that's just not true. Uh, Longtime missionary K.P. Yohanan wrote long ago, to keep Christian missions off balance, Satan has woven a masterful web of deceit and lies. He has invented invented a whole system of appealing half-truths to confuse the church and to ensure that millions will go to hell without ever receiving the gospel. And one of his more common inventions is this. How can we preach the gospel to a man with an empty stomach? Yohannan writes, a man's stomach has nothing to do with his heart's condition of being a rebel against a holy God. A rich man on Fifth Avenue in New York City or a poor beggar on the streets of Bombay are both rebels against God Almighty, according to the Bible. And he goes on to say that three bowls of rice does not a believer make. And the caution here is is to to confuse or become confused about our mission. Jesus said the poor will always be with you, but I will not be. If we try to help people in the outside world with material needs, financial needs, we need to keep our priorities straight. And it's gospel, 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 gospel first. We need to remember that it does nothing, does no one any good to send one, somebody well-dressed, well-fed, and well-educated to hell. What does it profit a man that he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Jesus says that 
in Matthew 16, 26. For what, does it, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The gospel is essential to everything, every ministry that we do here at Hillside Church. It's not about food and clothing in the here and now. It's about the hereafter. And I can't tell you how many soup lines or food lines we see around the country and no converts, no outward, no overt evangelism. And so we want to be careful. We want to be very careful. So every ministry, every benevolence, we have to assess the need. We have to evaluate the testimony. And the third consideration is this. The pre, there are prerequisites. Call it the prerequisites. Verses 4, 8, and 16. And here they are. And these are starting points, by the way. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Verse 8, but, this is a hard one to read in here, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Those lets are commands. When you see let in the New Testament or the Old Testament, it's because the English is insufficient to capture the grammar of the original language, and it's a command. And what's going on here is this. Before we go spending the Lord's money, we need to make sure the person is truly without resources. Have they spoken to their family? Have they appealed to their family? Is their family aware, involved? You can't miss this. Look at verse 4 with me again. But if a woman, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show godliness. Let them bear witness to their relationship with God, to their love for God and their neighbor, starting with their own family. Let them first show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing the sight of God, right? Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you, right? This pleases God. Children obey your parents. Children love your parents. Children care for your parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. I mean, think about it. Not everybody has nice parents, and not everybody has an intact family, and I understand that, and some of this may be hard to hear along those lines, and I'd but a lot of us had loving parents. And who would turn their back on the one that put the Band-Aid on the knee, that changed the diaper, that took the temperature, that took us to school, that, that hugged us when our boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with us, or when we were bullied in school? Who would turn their back? And this, this is what's going on here. Make some return to their parents. The parents poured their life into raising and caring and loving these kids and these kids or grandkids should return the favor. Verse 16, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. That says she must care for them. Let the church not be burdened. The church must not be burdened. Why? Because there are others who may not have the resources. We see this in verse 16, so that it may care for those who are truly widows, those who are truly needy, those who are truly without resources. 
There's a reason for this. The church does not have an unending supply of money and resources. The church must be careful with the resources that it has, and the family must be careful with the witness, with how it bears witness, testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ and the surrounding community. And the family must be careful to show themselves to be faithful believers in the Lord. We see that in verse 8. You know, Paul can say things in a way that nobody else can. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is the worst thing you could call a Christian. Can you imagine that? Keith, you have denied the faith, and you are worse than an unbeliever. That's about as bad as it gets, right? But what's going on here? is that God, through the Apostle Paul, is being careful to make us think about who we are, who we serve, and how we live out our faith. And if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, it should start within your own family. And so he says in verse 3 and verse 16, honor widows who are truly widows. If any believing widow woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. And again, this goes from age and aloneness and ability. She, in verse 5, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God, continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. We have to be very careful to understand why this person is without resources. And I want us to look at 11, verses 11 through 14, because this is a passage that people shudder when they read because they don't think sometimes as carefully about what they read. We all fall into that trap. We're all human. But I want to read that to you because it will clear up some misunderstandings. Verse 11, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they decide to marry. So he's not saying that it's wrong that they want to marry. The implication here is they're marrying for the wrong reasons. They're being carried away by their passions. And it says, so they incur the condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. They turn their back on God, and they're just looking for someone to marry. And then it talks about the behaviors that often follow. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things they should not say. And then in verse 14, he clarifies and says, so I would have younger widows marry. So it's not that they they wanted to get married. That's not wrong. It's that they married for the wrong reason and engaged in wrong behaviors. Here he says... I would have younger widows marry. It's not, it's not a sin to remarry, to bear children, to manage their households, to do good things, to do ministry, to carry on with their lives in a God-honoring, productive way, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. And so this is critical. This is critical. You know, and so basically, there are prerequisites, you know, uh, And those prerequisites, in one church I attended, if somebody wanted benevolence, they had to come, fill out a form, it would go to the benevolence team. And I tell you what, we have a fabulous benevolence team here. These guys are saints. It would go to the benevolence team, 
and then they would collect the benevolence at church. They would have to sit through a church service so we know that they heard a gospel presentation. They would check in upon arrival with a designated person at a designated place, sit through a worship service, meet the deacon to collect the check. They would, they would be asked to consider counseling, to maybe make a budget, to receive accountability, and that reduced the benevolence outflows for that church by about 80% because most people weren't willing to do that. And that tells you about a real need versus a perceived need. So what do you do with this? A couple of things. One, when, when somebody is presenting the need to a church, the church needs to consider the need. Is it real? Is it legitimate? And the person asking for the need, particularly if they're within the church family, should examine themselves and say, okay, I have this need. I'm going to go to my brothers and sisters in Christ, the leadership of the church. Am I willing to sit under their accountability, under their mentorship? Am I willing to examine my behaviors and my mindsets and submit myself to their authority and receive counseling and make a budget and do what they ask me to do? Both the benevolence team and the person seeking benevolence should ask themselves, have I exhausted all resources? Is there some other place I can turn? And then the benevolence team needs to know that it should not hoard the money and it should not just give it away lightly. And that's why this is such a tough ministry. It takes a patient, kind, gentle, and firm soul to serve in a benevolence ministry. It does. It does because this is, this is one of the most complex ministries because most people don't come to these men unless they're in crisis. You know, and it, so it's hard. But I'll tell you why, I'll give you an example of why this requires so great a discernment. Years and years ago, when I was in a different church and I was, I was actually in seminary and attending this church and one of the leaders in my fellowship group uh, class told a story and he said that this friend of his was in financial need and had come to him and shared the need and asked if he could help but he needed $30,000 and he said boy you know that was a huge 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 deal he goes but my wife and I we prayed about it and we eliminated some 401k money because they were in a jam they were about to lose their house and so we gave them the money. And he goes, and about two weeks later, he came to see me at my office to thank me. And he said, as I sat there thinking, oh, this is so good and he's so kind, the man told me this, I am so glad that you guys came through because I was about to have to eliminate $30,000 of Standard Oil stock from my stock portfolio. And now I didn't have to do that. Thanks so much. Shall we say that this was a sanctification experience probably for both men? But this is where the whole discernment thing has to come in. And this is why the church has to be so careful. That's a true story. And so we have to be careful. We are God's people. He has given us each talents and resources. And we have to use them to the best of our ability. Wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a difficult topic. Lord, when we read through the pastoral epistles, we see that you have given us so much guidance in church matters and this blueprint for the church. And 
Lord, you've, it looks like you've left no stone unturned. And here's one that people would look at as a routine matter, widows, and maybe that doesn't apply to me. But Lord, it applies to all of us because it applies to God's people. It applies to God's church. And we thank you for this nuts and bolts passage that gives us insight and information that we might do your business your way. Father, help us to do just that but help us to do it with a kind and gentle spirit, with patience, Father, Lord, with uh, empathy and sympathy and kindness, and yet, Father, with discernment. So, Father, we thank you for this information. We thank you for the people who serve in this church in these ways. And we thank you for the privilege, Lord, of helping those within need. Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend this time with us today here on the program. And if you have questions about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you, and thanks for listening. Thank you.